0: Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 39. And if you're joining us for the first time, what we're doing uh, the, 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 over the next uh, three months is that we're going to be looking at the gospel of Mark. And specifically, Mark is a very unique uh, gospel. It's very uh, quick, it's, there's a lot of action in it. Uh, one of the characteristics of Mark is that you'll, you'll notice this if you just read the first chapter, you'll see the word immediately come up rather immediately, and it comes up over and over and over again. There's this quick and fast pace that Mark has in this gospel. And we're calling this entire series The Cross and the Crown, and these are two lenses, two emphases that Mark has in his gospel. He's emphasizing that Jesus is coming to die upon the cross. And so the cross is really symbolizing his love and his servant heart for us. But he is also coming because he is the king. He wears the crown. And so he has all the power in the universe. And yet, so in Jesus Christ, we see how he is using his power to serve us. But he's using his power to call us to have life with him and to have life with God. And so, in other words, Mark is this amazing book that talks about what it means for us to be a disciple of Jesus. And today we're going to see uh, very clearly the, the first instance where Jesus is calling men to follow him. He's calling men to be his disciples. So this is Mark 1, verses 16 through 39. You can follow along, and your worship guides are on the walls beside me. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word now. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, being Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him? And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out into a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask for your blessing now as we look at your word. May we see and learn what you you're calling us to do in our lives. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Sometimes my son wakes up first thing in the morning and he's crying. It's it's clear that when he's crying, he didn't sleep that well that night and so he's waking up groggy, he's tired and he's he's he doesn't want to to be awake and, and so he just doesn't fall back to sleep yet. But on other times, he wakes up and he decides that he's going to play with his cars. And so you hear him talking. I say, don't do that. I was like, stop it. And he's talking to his cars for some reason. And I, I have no idea what the conversation is going on or what he's doing with these cars. But he's playing with these cars. But more often than not, and this is actually much more regular, he wakes up and he, the first words out of his mouth are, Dad, dad, what are you doing? And in fact, that's putting it in a more coherent sense. Sentence, and in fact, he shouts it, "Dad, dad, what you doing?" At five thirty in the morning, it's, it's or six or six thirty. It's quite disruptive. I want to sleep. I Like, especially at 5.30 in the morning. I want my son to sleep. I want my son to learn how to sleep until 7 p.m. at 7 a.m., not 7 p.m. <laughs> that would not be good. To 7 a.m. And this is something that every single one of us can relate to. We're asked. Um, we're called. We are asked to do something. We're called to do something that, we, that really just we don't want to do. And this is something that you can relate to. It may not be a toddler. It could be a friend. It could be a family member. It could be a boss. It could be anyone who says to you, hey, do this. Or, hey, I want your attention. Or, hey, come look at this. You may not want to do this, but uh, it's, it's in these moments that, like, we look in our hearts and we realize we don't want to do them. But the fact is we live in life, and so... We have a life. And, we, and so I walk down and, and I ask my son, what's, what's up? And he's like, cars. He just wants to play with cars. He's like, he wants me to give his car, him his cars by the lampstand. And so, it, like, it's easy to become frustrated in, in these moments when we're asked to do something by a boss or a friend. It's, and it, if we're not careful, these frustrations can lead to resentment. And this is what's going on in our hearts. And as we look at this text today, we see something about Jesus. Jesus is calling on us. He is actually disrupting our lives and inviting us to follow him. It's a, it, this is an invitation. This is an, a calling that we resist as well. And we resist this invitation because, to be honest, we resist his authority. We even resist the relationship that he has with us. So, But the reality is that this invitation is good news. It is good news to us. and, And this is what I want us to look at today. I want us to look at this calling, this invitation that Jesus has for us. Because Jesus calls you to walk with him in the everyday stuff of life. Jesus calls you to follow him in the everyday, ordinary stuff of life. And last week, we, we ended on the passage that, where Jesus starts out his ministry. And his ministry is very brief. In Mark, he, uh, not his ministry, his ministry is three years. His, we, when he kicks off his ministry, it's very brief. He says, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Like that's really all Jesus says. But, but I want to zoom in on this word Gospel. Because the word gospel is very familiar to uh, those of us who have grown up in the church. It literally means good news. But originally, the word gospel was not a religious word. The word gospel was not a churchy word. The word gospel was actually a political word. If you lived in Jesus' day, if you lived anywhere in the Roman Empire, you knew that the gospel had to do with the Roman emperor. It carried political meanings and implications It had to do with kings and their rule. And so Jesus is understanding what this word gospel means, but he's using it to say the king, God's anointed king has come. And this is good news for us. And what we see is that Jesus is a different kind of king. This is something we're going to see over and over and over again as we go through the entire Gospel of Mark. And But like, just think about it this way. The kings of Jesus' day, the kings of even our day, like when we think about Queen Elizabeth, she lives in London, she lives in Buckingham Palace. Uh, leaders in our day live in capital cities. They live in places of power and influence, and they surround themselves with cultural influencers. But... Jesus didn't. Jesus d- didn't start off his ministry in Jerusalem. He's not starting his ministry off in Rome. He's starting off his ministry in this backwater region of Galilee. It's a place that is neglected and forgotten by Rome. It's a place that is despised by even the Jews in Jerusalem. Later on, you would, uh, if you look at a parallel account where Jesus is calling people to follow him to be. His disciples, someone asks, can anything good count come out of Nazareth? So that gives us an insight into the fact that Jesus is coming from a backwater region of, of Israel. He's coming from a forgotten place. That's where he starts his entire ministry. That is not what we would expect of leaders or kings whatsoever because we think about our leaders and they expect fanfare and parades and a much much celebration. Jesus, however, doesn't do any of these things. And in fact, Jesus, instead of seeking out cultural influencers, he seeks out fishermen to become his disciples. And we have a picture of this in verses 16 through, through 20. And this is a picture of Jesus's authority in our lives. We, it's a picture of Jesus's disruptive authority in our lives. He meets Simon, and Simon is also known as Peter in other gospel accounts. We meet Andrew. We meet also James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And so we meet these, these men, and Mark tells the story rather casually, like simply matter-of-fact. Like we start out, and, and it's, we just see Jesus. He's passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. So literally, Jesus is by himself going for a walk on the shore, and he sees these men. He says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And that's it. It's just, it's very matter-of-fact. It's very casual. Jesus just tells them. And so there is Peter, and, or Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, John, and they just get up and follow him. And this is remarkable. But this is also backward. What do I mean by that? The, here's, here's why this is backward. Simply, put, simply, this is backward because students were the ones who picked their rabbis. What's going on here is here's Jesus, here's the rabbi coming to pick his disciples. And so to, to just help you understand how much of a paradigm change this would be, it, it's like this. It would be similar to the way that we apply to colleges. When we apply to colleges, you you take an application, you print it off, or you fill it out online, you write down your community service, you write down your GPA, you attach your transcripts, you get your recommendations. Basically, you're applying to your chosen schools to say, hey, look how amazing I am. You're trying to tell these schools that you are a competent human being, and they would be proud to have you as a student. That they want to have you take their their courses, but that's 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 so that is how the in a sense how the disciples would think about this that students would go and pick their their rabbis, but what and just imagine just one day just Princeton saying I want you like it's out of the blue it's weird it's backward and there's been no vetting process there's been no application there's been nothing like that Jesus just comes up and says I want follow, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men this is good news this is good news. This is also a sign that Jesus' kingdom is different than our way of life. But this is good news. But he, this is, here's why this is good news. Because the disciples are not different from you or I. They are regular men. They are regular human beings. They have fears. They have hopes. They have regrets. They have sin. They have guilt. They have shame. And, and they have families and work and more. And Jesus just comes to them. He invites them to follow him. And they do, but he invites them because of grace. He invites them because of his love. He accepts them to be his disciples because of grace. So Jesus comes to us when we least expect, uh, expect him to come to us. But Jesus is also coming, and so they're, they're fr- they're, frankly, w- w- none of us are qualified to follow him. But Jesus doesn't care. Not, like, he's not asking for us to say, hey, I'm only coming for the best of you. I'm only coming for those who are competent. I'm only coming for those who are good or righteous. That's not what Jesus says at all. In our assurance of forgiveness, we read this, where Andrew read this for us. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. See, Jesus is coming to seek and save the lost. He's, he's coming to us, and that's it. He wants us to have life with him. And so this is on display for us here. And this is good news. But also, this as he calls these men to follow him, this is not a quick decision. This is not just something to be taken lightly. So the reality is that Jesus is calling us to have life with him, to walk with him in the everyday stuff of life, but this is not a a call, an invitation just to think about hastily or too quickly. This is actually a, a call, an invitation that if we are taking it seriously has insanely drastic ramifications for our life. So just think about it this way. Jesus comes to James and John, and he says, hey, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. And James and John, they're there. They're fishermen. They, that, they're, that's their job. But they're actually working for their father, Zebedee, and, and it's a highly successful family business. There are servants around them as well. And, and just to put this in context, in this day and age, it is a patriarchal culture where the, the dad regardless of his age regardless of your age would be the head of the house and that there would be responsibilities even if you are a 20 a 30 or a 40 year old to work for and obey your father and so here's this call and all of a sudden James and John get up and leave the family business that's mind-blowing but then even he comes to Simon and Andrew he says hey Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And they leave their vocation. They leave their careers to follow Jesus. And so what we need to see here is that when Jesus invites us to follow him, he is promising us. He is inviting us to a life that is going to be different. In other words, Jesus is inviting us to change. He's inviting us to experience transformation. And so when Jesus invites us to follow him, he's going to recenter everything in our lives. He's going to reorganize our lives. He's going to reprioritize our lives. He's going to uh, help us and change how, how we think about our marriage, our families, our work, our finances, our homes, and everywhere in between. Jesus recenters our lives and, and, and will do everything to, That is necessary for God to be at the center of our lives. And so in other words, this is going back to a word I've been using over and over again. Jesus disrupts our lives to ensure that God is at the center of everything we do. And so the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to be changed. Now sadly, I need to take a step back here because this verse... where we are called to follow Jesus and he will make us become fishers of men, has been greatly misunderstood and perhaps even abused. Because what, what's going on is that some can use this verse to give the understanding that being in ministry is the best thing ever. And, like, for example, I remember one pastor, and he would pray that, like, hey, I pray that my grandson would be, be the, a, a pastor because that's the greatest calling there is. And, and that is a, a misunderstanding of this. And, and, and I see how this can actually affect us. Um, for example, and, and this is in a way that this is actually harmful. Um, and so this past week, I, I was meeting and, and talking with Angus and Emily Yao. And if you know either of them, they are fantastic. They uh, they serve our church in, in great ways. And both of them work in college ministries and, and at different schools, different college ministries. And they they developed a real amazing heart for missions. And so they joined a missions orga- organization, and that's actually how they met. Well, as they're traveling the world playing music and, and doing global missions. And, but in my conversation with them, they, they, they said this line. Uh, it's like, you know, it's hard to figure out what it means for us to follow Jesus in the boring part of life. It's, it's, and so it's easy to, to understand what it means to know Jesus when we're doing missions, when we're doing ministry. It's hard for us to understand what it means for us to follow Jesus as just parents, as people who are cleaning teeth. Or being an IT person. And like that, that shows that like so when we have a misunderstanding of this passage, it actually raises a lot of confusion for part of our most important part of our lives. It raises confusion even in understanding our work. Because the reality is like our work is actually important to God. One writer put it this way that work is integral to God's mission instead of being incidental. God delights in, in our work and he uses it in very powerful ways. And like, the, so the point is, is that if Jesus, if you're going to be calling Jesus your savior, he's going to be at work in your life, in the everyday stuff of life. You're following him in the everyday stuff of life, including work including everything that you, you do. And like, look again at Jesus' words here. It, follow me and you will become fishers of men. Jesus is talking to these men in language that they understand. He's talking to them because they, and he's these men are fishermen. This is their job. This is their vocation. But what Jesus is saying is that if they follow him, he, their entire lives are going to change change, and their lives are going to revolve around people. And so Jesus is speaking to them in a way that they understand which is their vocation, which is their careers. He's telling them, like I just said, that their entire lives are going to be about other people. Jesus redirects our lives toward other people. He tells them to leave their old vocation of being fishermen behind, to leave their dreams in order to pursue his. And again, that's disruptive. And perhaps you're here thinking, it's like, well, that sounds incredibly like hard. Jesus is calling us to put aside our hopes and dreams and pursuits and pursue his. What's that look like? Well, it could look like many different things. There's like 40 different people in here. So that's 40. It looks, it's going to look different in every single one of our lives. The, the fact is the, 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 the sameness, the, the, the same thing that's going to be unchanging is the fact that it's the call of Jesus upon our life. But it's going to look different for each one of us. And here's just one example. This is from writer Justin Whitmell Early. Um, he uh, wrote this book called The Common Rule, and he shares his story. And this is how he starts out. After studying English literature at the University of Virginia and, and marrying my wonderful wife from there, we spent a few years living in China as missionaries. I loved living there, and we would have stayed even longer exp- Except that one day I saw something that changed the way that I looked and viewed the world. I was taking a walk on a on a pedestrian street and in the space of 10 minutes I witnessed four things. I witnessed four things. One thing, the first was someone was dealing drugs. The second was someone was running a brothel. The third was someone was selling stolen laptops. The fourth thing was a political protest. And except for the political protest, all the other three things were normal in China. And that was the day I realized the power that the law and business have in shaping the world. And I felt a tremendous sense of calling. I felt the Lord telling me that if I wanted to follow him, I should do it in those arenas. He wanted me to be a missionary as a lawyer. And so we we moved from China to live in D.C. and, and enrolled at Georgetown. The picture that I'm giving you right here is that here is a man who is following the call to Jesus. And it's not being a missionary in the conventional sense that we think about where going overseas, it's actually pursuing a a career. And and it's in that career that God is calling us to be missionaries. And so so sometimes, in, in the case of my life, Following Jesus means being a pastor. And so sometimes for your life, it could be mean being a lawyer or a student, a graphic designer, a social worker, or a mother, or all, anything else. The invitation is going to be different for every single one of us, except for one thing. Jesus is the one who calls us except for the fact that Jesus is a king. He is not only a king, he is the king and he is calling us to follow him. He's calling us to put aside all the things that enslave us. He's calling us to put aside these these good things that can actually entrap us and to put him at the very center of our lives. And so when Jesus says Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus is using language they understand in terms of their career and provocatively engaging their imagination. He's causing them to imagine and to dream of a new life with him. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Jesus is calling you, calling us to follow him in the everyday stuff of life. And so as the invitation is different for every single one of us, this is actually where the truth hits home, where the truth hits our hearts in a very powerful way. Because what is the ultimate authority in in our lives? What is The ultimate authority in your life. Because every single one of us lives for something. We live for something. We live for someone. Something rules our lives. And perhaps it's work. And so if it's work, perhaps the first thing you do in the the morning is check your phone, check your email. And you want to respond. You want to be known as a hard worker. You want to be known as a competent and reliable person. So you're checking work first thing in the morning. Or perhaps it's a friend, a spouse, and all you want to do is please them. And so you want their love. You want their affection. And so you're anxious when you don't receive it. You're paralyzed when you don't receive it. And you find yourself making sad or, or foolish decisions. And so the, the reality is that, so as, that's the reality. Every single one of us lives for something. But the good news is that Jesus is a different kind of king. Because Jesus is the king who lived for you. Jesus is the king who died for you. He knows all your failings, yet he loves you. He lived and he died on the cross for you. So Jesus is not just your king. Jesus is also your rescuer who comes to rescue you and to free you from your guilt, to free you from your sin, to, to free you from your greatest enemies. That's the type of king that we have. And that, that is why this, king is, is, this king's coming is good news. But it is also why this king's calling is good news as well. Because he invites you to follow him in the everyday stuff of life, and that's an adventure where he is inviting you to come and experience true life as you follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your call upon our lives. We ask that in the coming weeks, uh, days and weeks ahead, you would give us an awareness of what it means and what it looks like for us to follow you. And that we will see firsthand how you will make us become fishers of men. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.